connection. I am so excited because I am recording with a fellow Minnesotan today. Uh, this is Lene. She is on Instagram from HH Homestead on the Hill. And today we're going to be talking about, well, her homestead in general, but also about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts. And that's being gluten-free chefs at our kitchen, having a gluten-free homestead and just what that all entails for our lives. So Lene, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about your homestead? Hey, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Like you said, being chefs in our homestead kitchens and having to make it gluten-free. Um, so a little bit about our homestead and just our family in general. Uh, my husband and I live on our 10-acre homestead, which is actually his family farm um, where he grew up. We uh, actually live in his grandparents' house. We started... Ooh. Um, working on that when we got married he had lived here already for about 10 years and it was about a bachelor pad by the time I moved in <laughs> uh, so we started working on that when we got married and so it is actually us here on the homestead and then his parents also live on this 10 acres as well so that is really fun we have uh, two little kiddos and they love getting to go to grandma and grandpa's um, between the two houses is where our garden is at and where our chickens roam around. Um, and that is kind of what our homestead looks like. Um, but as far as, you know, who are we and what do we do uh, besides the homestead? Um, we are farmers through and through agriculture is what we do. Um, my husband's family farmed and my family also farmed. And actually I was a farm girl all the way uh, to my roots when I was about 13 is when I started working on the farm with my dad and worked with him all the way through high school and then into college I would come home and want to work in the field with him and I did actually go off to college though um, I went to find something that I could maybe bring back to agriculture but I also didn't want to say go for an agronomy degree where I was 100% in agriculture. Yes. So I went and got a chemistry degree. Oh. And I actually did um, research and development work a little bit in soil and water testing. And then I decided to ask my dad if we could start farming. Um, he was kind of looking at wanting to start retiring maybe in like the five-year plan when we originally talked, I was I was 22 years old when we got married, and by 23, we were running the farm, and now I am 30, and we are harvesting, uh, let's see, our eighth crop, ninth crop this year. I might be off a little bit, which one that is, but yeah, so we, um, we farm, we own a egg spray supply shop. Um, we homestead and we kind of do a little bit of everything. You guys are busy. I love hearing that you guys have like a multi-generational homestead or farmstead where you guys live with your husband's parents at on the same property. I hear so many people that are, you know, it's like 
either on the one side of I'm too close to my in-laws or I love being with them all the time. And that the fact that your kids can grow up that close with their grandparents, that your gardens in between both of your houses, that is so cool. I feel like I remember a few years ago on your Instagram that you had posted something about your melon patch. And like you talked about like, it's better with your melons if you can like plant them here one year and then plant them somewhere else or something along those lines. And I feel like, was that at your, like closer to your, in-laws or how how did that work uh so yeah actually our main garden is between almost directly between the two um and then when i planted uh like watermelons and muskmelon and whatnot um you don't want those cross-pollinating with your squash so i had planted those then on the other side of our house um to to fully separate them so i've kind of plotted a few different areas um, around the farm as garden um, <laughs> and some years it's bigger than others it depends on um, how pregnant I am or how new of a newborn I have <laughs> yes I have found that too like with my kids it definitely changes the garden scene like either you're super pregnant or it's like the newborn stage like this last summer was a struggle getting anything ready for the garden any seeds started it was so hard and I know you were kind of in the same like phase and it just it makes things a little bit more difficult with little ones but it's so rewarding especially when they want to start helping and picking and all of those things um but I definitely can throw a little bit of a challenge into it for sure I know this year um this summer I also had a newborn and you know being very very pregnant in the very early days of summer and then I think I was transplanting cabbage plants one night and that is the night that I went into labor <laughs> and so I can promise you that most of those cabbage plants did not survive <laughs> because you I guess you nothing can... of me for about three weeks after that I guess you can say you have a true cabbage patch kid then well there you go <laughs> the the 90s nostalgia has to come out a little bit absolutely <laughs> So I know like on your homestead, I know that you guys cook so much from scratch and I love following along with your Instagram stories because you are oftentimes showing what you're cooking in the kitchen. Do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about how um, and why you cook from scratch? Like what your favorite methods and, and, and how just your kitchen works and, you know, a little bit about that. Yeah, so pretty much the whole point and why we homestead is because we want to be able to grow and raise our own food and then be able to eat it in some way, shape or form. And um, that really is the core as to, to why we do what we do. Um, we don't want to have to depend on systems to mm -hmm. have our have our food. And we also, because we are gluten free, um, we do have to be a little bit more careful on foods that we buy, foods that we bring into the home. And having both been raised in agriculture it's kind of just in our blood to want to raise and grow our own food um, actually my grandmother was a widow for about 40 years and she lived on the farm by herself after my mom um, grew up and graduated my mom was about nine years old I believe when her dad passed away and so my grandmother farmed and had her homestead for about 40 years on her own. 
Um, She was a true inspiration to everything I do. And so every time I'm doing something, I'm kind of just thinking of like, how did grandma do this? Now, mind you, she passed away when I was um, in my early teenage years. And I wish I would have taken more knowledge from her. I wish I would have held on to more things. I wish I would have asked more questions, understood more. But at that age, I didn't, I didn't know. Right. Um, but she really is my inspiration through and through. So uh, actually, the cast iron uh, skillets that I have in my kitchen now are from my grandmother and my great-grandmother. Wow. Uh, my mom, I remember saying I wanted to get some cast iron. And my mom said, well, I think I have just the thing for you in the basement from grandma's. And so oh, she yeah. brought up the cast iron that she had. And that is the cast iron that I cook with. Um. So that's that is so special. Yeah, that's a really special piece of my kitchen. Um, and I guess I just always grew up eating food from scratch. Mom always cooked food from scratch. And of course, she got that from her mom. Uh, I remember going to grandma's house and I mean, we rarely ate like a lot of packaged stuff. I do remember <laughs> SpaghettiOs. Remember going to grandma's and getting spaghetti. <laughs> but beyond that, uh, she was a fabulous cook. She cooked everything. She was always baking. And honestly, I think that's what she did to pass the time a lot, uh, living on her own for so many years. Uh, she never left the farm except to go to church on Sundays. So she literally gardened, raised her animals, and cooked. Wow. Uh, so that that was um, just kind of where it all roots from was that was grandma, that was mom. Um, they cooked from scratch. So bringing that forward to my life, um, since I got married at 22, um, I've pretty much been married most of my adult life. <laughs> I mean, yep. essentially, besides being a college student. And so that means we... You know, I've been cooking meals for myself and somebody else for for many years now. And one of my love languages is to be able to cook good food for my husband. Um, if if I want to do something special for my husband, it's cook him a good meal or cook him one of his favorite desserts. And so when we found out that my husband had celiac um, and he needed to avoid gluten I knew I had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to have to learn to cook without gluten, which was, of course, a challenge in its own. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we started as far as... How many, how many years ago was that now? Uh, it'll, it's right around 10 years. Um, okay. So about the time that I met him is when he found out he had celiac. And... It's not just him and his family who has celiac. Um, we actually found out because his dad was having very severe um, symptoms of celiac. So he was to the point of um, losing his memory because of it, having just, um, struggles with movement. Um, so essentially what happens if you eat a ton of gluten when you have celiac is your body stops absorbing the nutrients that it needs. And so it is um, very damaging to the small intestine. Uh, 
and your body just starts basically shutting down because it doesn't have the nutrients that it needs. So it was first found in his dad um, and because he was having such severe symptoms. And then uh, my husband was diagnosed. And when he was diagnosed, we went quite a few years of kind of figuring it out. Um, But then his sister's family started noticing issues um, with her kids. So my nieces Mm. and nephews. And that's when we really started paying attention to um, how is this affecting the family as a whole? Yeah. So that's uh, once we started having our own kids, um, we really took it seriously that we needed to pay attention to the gluten um, in food as well as um, how they were going to be affected. And so as you know, you can test for the gene there's there's two genes that are carriers for celiac so we had we've had both of our kids uh gene tested or their genes tested and they both do carry one of the genes mm-hmm. um so while that doesn't you know 100% say that they have celiac disease it, it there is a strong possibility now because of it um yeah and in any like traumatic or stress inducing event can trigger those genes to basically be turned on and then you know that celiac which is the autoimmune can be full-blown and active in your system and so like even having the genes is super important to know so you guys can monitor that going forward and same with my kids like I can monitor them going forward um you know if something traumatic happens or if they're starting to have other symptoms that we have that understanding and that awareness that we can go out and check it out. Yeah. And it's interesting that you, you use that language that your genes can be turned on because that's something that I have really been kind of diving into in the last about eight years is kind of understanding that epigenetics of how things are, how your genes can be essentially turned on or turned off. And meaning, how do those autoimmune diseases really affect you? And are they being present in your body? Um, of course, the the next step to being able to test if celiac is an issue in your body is through a blood test. Um, mm-hmm. And at least for our kids right now, they're, they're not really old enough to tell us, um, mommy, my tummy hurts. And so that makes it really hard to, since they have to be eating gluten on a regular basis in order to have that test done, um, it's, as a parent, it's really hard to want to give your kids gluten knowing that they may have an issue. Um, So that's where we've also gone 100% gluten-free in our household. And I even avoid, as a breastfeeding mom, um, I avoid gluten because there's not... um, a lot of studies as far as gluten through breast milk, but from what I have um, understood is that gluten is something that can be passed through breast milk. And when my daughter was born, she was extremely colicky in the early stages or the early days before I started cutting gluten out. Um, And then early on, I, I decided that, you know what, this is an, an easy removal because she likely has the um, the gene to have celiac. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so we that's that's really why we've kept our household now 100% gluten-free is it's as a parent you just don't want to do that to your kids no for sure my daughter was diagnosed with celiac at nine months old we had to go to four different doctors before I got a diagnosis uh so me being gluten-free I we did uh baby led weaning and so I introduced her to wheat and she instantly got a full body red rash like she was red from her chin all the way down like to her toes like she was full body red and I took her to a couple doctors um they're like nope she's fine that's really rare it's super uncommon for a child to have any celiac or wheat allergies it's probably a dairy allergy or something else and I was like but hold on she's been having all these other foods this weed is the last thing I introduced like you know where are we at and um you know so then I tested like I introduced it again same reaction and I was like I can't keep introducing you to this without knowing when I know that there's a strong possibility that you may have celiac disease. Um, and so I stopped, you know, my daughter on wheat. I was like, no more, we're, we're done eating wheat, no more gluten containing foods. Um, and then I finally found a doctor like a week later that was like, yeah, let's just try a blood test came back blaring positive. And I was like, okay, great. We have our answers. Um, but then they said, when she turns two, they wanted to send her to Minnesota Children's to get like an endoscopy done to do like the test that way. But we, you and I both know that to do an endoscopy, they need to be ingesting gluten meals at least twice a day for several weeks to have like accurate results. And so I was like, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I can do that. I can't put my daughter through that again. And so um, it's really nice that you can do the genetic testing where it's just like a cheek swab and they can test and see how that goes. Um, there's the blood work, otherwise, you know, like the endoscopy with like the, the biopsies and stuff as well for diagnostic. But, um, it's definitely hard when people don't know, and then you start cutting out those foods and then, you know, you need to reintroduce them to get the testing done. So it can be a really frustrating process to get there. And so like getting the early diagnostics or like if you have it in your family, that's really kind of key and important to get tested and to know. Right. And it also comes down to, you know, my husband has been tested that he, you know, he carries the genes and whatnot as well. Um, but it really comes down to personally, do you need, do you need the test results to tell you? And right in our family, you know, we get a little pushback every now and again of, well, do you even know like if they have celiac or if they have to avoid gluten for sure? And from the outside, sometimes it can seem really silly, but when you're the parent and you're the one having to make the decisions and deal with the tummy aches and deal with the rashes yes. and deal with the tough stuff, especially with what's available today, avoiding gluten is not that bad no it's not hard and like just touching on like when you're talking about breastfeeding like one of the first things that doctors tell you to do like if you have a colicky baby is to start removing your dairy your eggs you know whatever mom is consuming and it's kind of crazy that there's not a lot of studies done on gluten passing through to breast milk because you know that it's probably going to be more common. We'll probably in the next ten years, we'll probably see a whole bunch of studies, and that'll probably be one of the next things that doctors are recommending being taken out 
early stages, you know, to fix like the colicky and, and things. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just crazy. If we think that it passes through with dairy, why wouldn't it with wheat or gluten, you know? So it's kind of interesting. And, you know, it's really critical to understand too, just that difference between celiac disease versus just having a wheat allergy and really understanding the labeling too of what does gluten-free mean versus what does wheat-free mean. And this is something that I have just recently really started paying attention to because uh, labeling is getting to be so much more like you can look at a label and it'll say wheat-free or gluten-free and you think, oh, I don't really need to read the ingredients list then. Um, But the difference between being gluten-free and wheat-free are quite different because gluten can be, is a protein found in the wheat, but it is also Mm -hmm. found in barley and rye. And, yep. But there's a lot in malt as well. Yes, so malt. um, Yep malted barley um yeah so like our kids can't go to the ice cream shop and have a a malt they can have a shake but they can't have malt yep um and the symptoms of celiac are very different from like a wheat allergy because celiac disease affects the gi system so much more it's so damaging to the small intestine whereas a wheat allergy typically doesn't have the long-term effects that celiac does, to my understanding. Now, we don't deal with wheat allergy, so I'm not as well-versed with wheat allergy. But I also do know that on labeling now, things can say wheat-free. That does not mean they are gluten-free. I actually saw one that was really interesting. I had... I. Every once in a while, we don't cook from scratch. Shocker. Um, but like we had, I think it was a frozen pizza. I want to say it was, I, I can't even say the brand because I don't want to be incorrect in quoting this here. But I was looking at the box and I know it was a gluten-free frozen pizza and I was going to throw it in the oven to make a quick dinner. And I looked at the box and the back said, um, contains gluten, but it said gluten-free. But then underneath it, it said something to the effect of, it contains so like so few amount of gluten that the FDA regulates it as being gluten free, and I was like, red flag. That is not okay. Yes, and <laughs> like, then that the, was so nerve wracking. They're also now, um, they I believe they can remove the gluten from the wheat. Yes. So if you see something that says gluten free, it is not necessarily wheat free. So hence why cooking from scratch is so <laughs> much easier. And it, it, I mean, obviously it is so much better for us. Um, but truly, who can handle all this labeling nonsense? I know. It's so hard. And then now you add not only like the gluten stuff, then there's the bioengineered food ingredients. There's the natural flavorings, like all of those things. thick. Things can be hidden in there and you never know for sure. So cooking from scratch is so important. Do you have any like kitchen hacks? Like what are your easiest staples or easiest switches and swaps in your kitchen that make cooking from scratch a lot easier for you? Uh, Yeah, I would say um, 
first and foremost, if you're if you're new to cooking gluten free, especially, but I mean, I'm a seasoned gluten free girl, and <laughs> finding a good gluten free blended blend of flour, a one to one gluten free flour, find a staple that you love. I would say my newest favorite is Pamela's, Ooh. but I also love Bob, Bob's Red Mill. Crusty's makes a good one. And don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure King Arthur has a good one. I don't personally get King Arthur a lot. Um, but that is going to make your life a lot easier because it is a blended. It's blended with multiple grains, starches, and typically the binder is already included in there. So that's like either your xanthan gum or your guar gum. Um, that is... That is a huge one. Uh, so one of the things that I found when I switched to gluten-free cooking and baking was if I was looking up recipes online, they called for millet and sorghum and buckwheat and oat flour and almond flour and xanthan gum and psyllium husk. And I am like, one, where am I going to source all of these things? Yep. <laughs> Two, how am I going to afford all these ingredients? Yes. And three, every recipe calls for a different combination. And it was very overwhelming for me. Yes, I agree. So that was kind of my first. Okay. Stop with trying to source all these flowers. Now, I am very blessed. We have a local grain mill uh, that I can go and get local grains from. If I want to go that route, but it's not always practical. And the other issue I have with it, it's harder to get a consistent bake mm -hmm. when you're using all different flowers or all different blends because you're having to learn how each different grain, each different binder acts. Yep. So if you can find a one-to-one gluten-free flour blend that you love to have in your kitchen that's huge another one that was a big one for me now I we are a gravy family I grew up on gravy I mean I know there are households that never eat gravy my sister-in-law she doesn't make gravy she doesn't eat gravy we eat gravy so do we <laughs> and honestly I don't love gravy from gluten-free flour no, so it's not good. My gravy hack is cornstarch. I make my gravy with cornstarch. And that throws people so much. I know some people are like, we don't use cornstarch in our kitchen. I'm like, hmm, well, we do. you're missing out on some darn good gravy. <laughs> yes. Um. So that is one that I definitely keep in the house is, is some good cornstarch. Yep. Um, we do that too. Yeah. So I guess those are kind of like the the big two things that I had to learn. Um, and oftentimes adding an extra egg. Add an extra egg into things. And it usually helps if you're, you know, if you're having troubles. But um, that's kind of what I've done for the last 10 years is t test and trial recipes and figure out what works for us. And when it was really good, 
it finally got wrote down. <laughs> yes, I I feel that. So when when we, I mean, at the same time that we are both starting this gluten free journey, um, the options for flowers were non-existent like it was so hard and i actually have a recipe card wrote down of a flour mix of all of these different potato starch and this starch and rice flour and all of these different flours and starches and gums to put together to make this little jar of flour that you'd have to keep in the fridge and that's how we baked that was like our one-to-one flour ratio and now that we have all these options for one-to-one has seriously changed the game for baking and cooking gluten-free um like for me we have a little Amish or Mennonite store really close to us um and I'll go there because they get like a lot of bulk items in and I can buy a 25 pound bag of um Bob's one-to-one and it is like I'll buy that and I'll be good for a little bit and then I'll just go back and get another one. It's just so nice that I can buy that in bulk and have it. Because, I mean, if you buy the little bags of it, you're looking at, like, what, $10, $12 at the store. I buy a 25-pound bag and I think it's, like, $55. That's awesome. Yeah. I I do similar. I just recently started ordering through Azure Standard. And I literally started ordering through Azure because I could get Pamela's and Bob's Red Mill gluten-free flour mixes through them. I'm going to need to try Pamela's. You really do. It has Pamela's, I believe. I was looking at the ingredients list. I was looking at it just the other day because I just recently started baking with it. And if I remember correctly, they use a different binder than most. They don't use xanthan gum in it. They might have it in there, but I think they have an additional gum. I'm I'm running off my memory here, but I baked our gluten-free bread recipe with it the other day, and it was even fluffier, spongier, however you want to say that, more pliable than ever before. And I was so excited that I had found another wonderful blend to work with. Nice. I love that. Because, I mean, if anybody anybody who's listening that knows gluten-free or has ate gluten-free, you know how dry and crummy and dense gluten-free products can be. And so to hear of a spongy bread is just like, I don't know, amazing. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit more because <laughs> store-bought gluten-free bread is rough. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's not great. No. Honestly... This is wild to me. Probably the best tasting store-bought that we have ever found was Sam- Sam's Choice. It's the Walmart brand. Oh, really? Our Walmart yeah. doesn't have that. Um, but it is in not in the gluten-free section. It is in the regular bread aisle <laughs> on, like, the very top shelf. But let me tell you, you can make it at home way cheaper and way better. And let's be honest, the cost for a gluten-free loaf of bread for the little 8-inch loaf you get is just astronomical. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't done a, a cost breakdown recently. I should do that. I will do that and post it on my Instagram here in the near future. Uh, the cost breakdown of making a loaf of gluten-free bread 
from the recipe that I have. Yes, that's and a great the recipe idea. that I have to share with all of you as well. Um, you guys, making gluten free bread at home doesn't have to be hard, and it it can be delicious. Actually, I have to brag a little bit here. Last night I made garlic toast with um, whatever I think we we're having steak and rice and. I had made a loaf of bread, so I made some garlic bread. And my husband, we got done with supper, and he goes, I think that is the best garlic bread or garlic toast we have had to date. Wow. I will chalk that on the board. <laughs> um, he is my biggest my biggest fan, but my biggest critic um, when it comes to, I mean, the number of gluten-free cinnamon rolls that I have made that have been meh not so awesome has only led me to now where I can make gluten-free cinnamon rolls <laughs> that he asked for more. It's so nice that he is your number one fan of like your cooking, but it's also really nice that he's an honest critic because if he's always telling you something's delicious and good, it's hard to improve upon it. Even if you're like, mm, this could have been better. And he said it was good. It's like, okay, fine. You know, it's nice that he gives you that honest feedback. It is. And I will be honest, I struggle with constructive criticism, but it is so healthy. And I mean, truly, it has made me now able to make gluten free, even baked goods that gluten eating people love. Um, That's just awesome. the other day when I was drowning in cookies from doing um, last minute touches on cookie recipes. I had shared that I had all these cookies and whatnot. And my cousin had texted me and she said, we're a family of six and we could take some of those cookies off your hands. <laughs> I said, perfect. I'm coming to town later. I will drop them by your house. And as soon as they got home, they all devoured the cookies. And she texted me and she said the whole family absolutely loved them. And those were some of the oatmeal chocolate chip, uh, cookies that are in my recipe book and it's so encouraging to hear when people who regularly eat gluten love your gluten-free baked goods yeah I agree it's so nice because my brother love him to pieces but every time we have something and it's really good he's like is this gluten-free and then Oh, I'll say yes. And he's like, okay, I don't like it anymore. It needs gluten, like as a joke, right? But it's like he can't just say, yes, this is delicious. I love it. Give me some more. It's like, oh, because it doesn't have gluten, it's not as good or whatever. And so it's nice that you get those compliments. We have a critic like that in our family as well, and it can be very hard. Um, but you know what? You move forward, and ultimately... Yeah. They're the ones missing out. So for sure. I agree. We'll, we'll enjoy all the goods. I really think one of the hardest parts for us in our house and with the kids is snack time. Like, you know, those quick grab and go snacks that, you know, are just staples in your house. Like, what do you guys do? Because that's difficult for us. And so I'm always interested to see what other people who are gluten free do for their day to day snacks. Yeah, absolutely. That is something that I know we struggled with it at the get-go, and now having little, little kids, it definitely is something that we're constantly doing because kids always want snacks. So yes. our our go-tos um, would definitely be fruit, grab-and-grow 
grab and go fruit is the easiest. So bananas, apples, cuties. Um, our daughter absolutely loves those. Uh, then definitely oatmeal balls. Um, oh. And we make oatmeal balls actually with um, I Juice Plus Complete Mix. Um, yeah. It's it's something that we love to throw in our oatmeal balls. You can use any type of protein powder, really, but just to throw in an extra protein punch, have some fiber, extra fiber in there, and then it it makes them nice and chocolatey or vanilla. Um, with yep. some chips, I actually on my Instagram page, I definitely have um, one of our favorite recipes posted there for oatmeal balls. Um, gluten-free muffins are always a good mm. one we do lots of gluten-free muffins actually um in my gluten-free made simple recipe book i have three different muffin recipes and actually you could consider a fourth one if you take the apple cinnamon bread and make it into muffins mm. uh, so my daughter is always going for muffins um applesauce is a big one for us uh, especially for my two-year-old um, and then applesauce packets are super easy for grab and go. And you can get, uh, we have uh, refillable silicone uh, packets or silicone molds or whatnot that you can fill up with homemade applesauce. So uh, you don't always have to buy the store-bought ones, but we all know that those can be easier sometimes <laughs> too. Yes. Um, popcorn is a big one mm. for us. Um, of course, you have to be careful with little littles on popcorn, but we like to make a big batch on Sundays and then have popcorn for snacks on Monday. Um, and then yogurt and cheese are two big ones. If you can have dairy, those are super simple. Um, cheese sticks, cheese curds, whatever. Um, and then also tortilla chips. Uh, they're mm. easy gluten-free chip. And we actually can get some from our uh, our flour mill that's real close to us. They, they make tortilla chips, so we love those. Uh, but those are kind of our, our go-tos. And actually, I do have um, a list made out that is a free download for anybody who wants it just to have it home. And then you can always reference it to go back to. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the snacks that we do here double up with yours. Like tortilla chips, we always have those. Fruit, I mean, my daughter walked up to me today. And so she's two and a half. And she had her hands out and she was doing the American Sign Language for banana. And she goes... This is banana, or this is the sign for banana. And I was like, holy buckets, like, how did you pick that up? One. And then, you know, she's asking me, can I have a banana? Sure. There's no problem. But I feel like I buy bananas by, I don't know, truckloads sometimes because they, we just can't keep them at our house. I know. Between it. banana bread and just eating bananas and breakfast. And it's just, it's crazy. But I'd rather them eat that than something else that's packaged, you know? So. Yeah. And bananas are just a huge one for us too. But I feel like kids always go from either like they want bananas every day. So then you, you buy extra bananas and then all of a sudden they, they don't want a banana for a week. Yes. So it's, one of the, it's so hard. One of the recipes in the gluten-free made simple uh, recipe book is banana chocolate chip muffins. And that is a staple in our household because of that fact that we either have no bananas or you have too many bananas yep no that's so true and you know there's sometimes when I go to the store and there's like no bananas even there and I'm like where are your bananas like what am I going to do this week yeah and thankfully those are the weeks that my child's like oh I don't want bananas I'm like okay cool thank you thanks for working with the system yes absolutely so, so 
I know you've mentioned here just a couple times um, your gluten-free made simple cookbook. And I feel like we need to talk about that a little bit just so everybody knows kind of what we're talking about and what we're referencing like through this whole podcast episode. Yeah, so everything we've talked about today has been how do we do gluten-free, make it doable for our families. And over the last 10 years, what I have found is that Eating gluten-free can be really complicated and people can make it really complicated. And every time I was searching for recipes, I was finding recipes that called for millet and sorghum and almond and all these different flours that I had to go and buy individually. And I was just getting really overwhelmed and kind of annoyed with everything being complicated. And now that we're here way down the road of gluten-free and it's becoming more known there are easier ways to make homemade gluten-free and that is most often with a one-to-one gluten-free baking flour and so I took and looked at all of our family favorite recipes that we make on a regular and when I started looking through them they all called for a one-to-one gluten-free flour. And so I decided, okay, these are all recipes that I have taken from my mom, my grandmother, uh, ones that I've created to mimic their recipes and made them gluten-free. And so I decided if I am searching for this and I want to do this, I can guarantee there's plenty of other people out there who also want recipes that are simple to make, but still delicious. And That's where the gluten-free made simple recipe book was born and why it was created. And so it is, you know, I've, I've heard you guys talk on your podcast some before about how do you make money on your homestead? How do you fund your homestead? And being a stay at home mom, this is one of the ways that I'm able to fund our homestead is by sharing our gluten-free recipes with others, because they are all ones that I have taken years to create and make them just right um the bread recipe that's in there is one that man I can't even tell you how many years I have been trying different gluten-free bread recipes to finally get to this one and tweak it just to where we love it um you know the chocolate chip cookie recipes that I have in this recipe book are just like my mom used to make them you know the wheat recipes that you loved now gluten-free I mean there's pumpkin bars in there it's so it's really just selfishly what we loved and made it into a recipe book that other people could enjoy too yeah and I know like even me just thumbing through it and looking at it I have used your bread recipe and I've used your bread recipe for I don't know for quite a while you posted a long long time ago on Instagram and I've been using it since then and it is so good I love using it um, we're now in February and I haven't bought bread from the store. Thank goodness. I'm just using your recipe, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where once you find a tried and true recipe that works, that's gluten-free, it's nice to have that in your arsenal to always have it, to go back to and reference. And even if you want to make tweaks or you want to make a lemon poppy seed bread, or if you want to make something different, like you have a solid base to start with because like the hard part is done. Like getting the consistency right with your ratio, with your flour, your sugar, your water, your milk, whatever you're putting in there, that can be so hard. And I am a like 
I'm a dump and go kind of cook. Like I like to just dump my stuff in. I don't like to measure. I, I'm not a baker. I, I'm not a big baker because I like to just toss stuff in and go. Um, and so it's nice that I can just grab this recipe. I know it's good and I can measure this stuff out and they're simple and we're good to go. Yeah, it really, it really is. And you know, I'm the same way with cooking as you are with, I just want to dump things in and not measure anything. So actually that's what I love about the bread recipe that is in there is because it all goes in the same bowl right away. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it is that whole trying to get the consistency right, trying to get the taste just right. And so this was a big one even for my husband was so excited as I was creating it because I finally had the recipes wrote down. And mm-hmm. I'm usually cooking out of my head all the time. And so he yes. said, write the recipe down. So now we all have it in in the gluten-free made simple recipe book. And so this book is available either ebook or print copy. And the ebook will will post in the show notes, I think, so that people can grab it. I think you mentioned we could do that. Uh, but for the print copy, just go ahead and purchase the ebook and the directions for getting a printed copy. And you guys, I got my printed copy in the mail and it is so neat because the printing company that I, I collaborated with, they can do gloss pages. And so it's like you can splatter on it and you can wipe it off. And how many of us just want to have that hard copy in hand because we don't want to be cooking off our phone and spilling on it or you know we know what might be coming ahead and we want it <laughs> our copies in hand um so you can get a print copy it's awesome and for people listening here just go ahead and use the code homestead on the hill and that'll give you 10 percent off your printing so purchase the ebook then follow the directions in the in the um confirmation email and it'll tell you how to get a printed copy too that is so cool. I love, you know, everything that you put into this and working with the four pill- four pillars printing, right? Correct. Yeah. Working with them, like I've seen other people use that company and they just seem like a great company to work with. And I love that. But I can't imagine how um, difficult it was to like put all of these pieces together. Like that's a lot of moving parts. Like you're a mom, you, you're a stay-at-home mom with two kids. You farm, you homestead. You now just wrote this gluten-free ebook. Like, how did you, or what's the best advice, or how how can people learn how you did what you did to maybe do this for themselves if that's what they're looking to do? Yeah, it definitely it took some digging to figure out the pieces. I'll tell you that much. Uh, just even the printing aspect of it, I I actually originally was not going to offer a printed copy, uh, but. I made the mistake, or you could say right move, in asking my audience, I guess, what they wanted. And it was a resounding, we want a hard copy. And, of course, because the people who are buying this recipe book are like you and I. Um, And we all know why we love hard copies. So then I really started to dig into the printing aspect of it. Um, Thankfully, I found Four Pillars Printing because they made my life so much easier and made everything so much more affordable for um, those purchasing it. I could not believe what they're printing it for. Um, 
but then it's, you know, figuring out the, how are you going to handle messages? Like he said, having both my kids at home, it was like, how am I going to handle messaging? How am I going to handle printing? Um, how, how am I going to handle transactions of people paying? Uh, so actually I, I, again, reached out to my audience of Instagrammers and I asked them like, you know, is this something that anybody else wants to know how to do now that I have basically figured it all out? Um, we've had a very successful last week of launch of this recipe book, and it's been really fun. So I have actually decided that I'm going to offer a one-hour um, webinar, Zoom meeting, whatever title you want to put on it specifically, but just to see the behind the scenes of what it took to put the the recipe book together. Um, I'm going to basically spill my beans. I'm going to outline what it took from first idea to a successful launch to, you know, money in my bank account. Uh, what pieces did I use as far as how did I, or what pieces did I write, use to write mm -hmm. and create the uh, ebook? How did I connect with printing? How did I manage messaging? Um, how did I do email campaigns, marketing, everything. And I'm going to spill those beans in that one hour. And then from there, we might look at, you know, if people want to do something next. But my my big idea behind it is, okay, we all have these great ideas in our head. Okay. Can I help you take that next step and make them happen? Uh, I absolutely love getting to be other people's cheerleaders and see them be successful. Uh so if I can help you and encourage you in that one hour, um, it's on February 20th at 1 p.m. Central is the set Zoom time. And so people can go and reserve um, through my Instagram page. And I'm sure you guys will share it. Uh, yes. How they can get there as well. I don't have to explain that. But if there is an idea in your head, please like show up because there's so many pieces that you don't have to figure out on your own. And I just really wanted to make it like super affordable for people to take that next step. Yeah. And I feel like so many people, when they have those ideas, you kind of get that like, um, what do you want to call it? Like decision paralysis. Like there's so many options, like in the grand scheme of things to create an online uh, anything like a, a business, a book, a, a course, a PDF, whatever you have going on. Like there's so many options and that causes people to just freeze and they don't know which way to turn. And I think that's super helpful that you're le lending that hand to teach somebody else that wants to, you know, engage or to, to grow and to make something um, to help them out is really, really cool. Yeah. And I just want to put this in there too, is that this is coming from somebody who is not an expert. I really want it. Like, I want to make sure that people know I am not an expert and I am not going to spill a bunch of expert jargon at you. I, I was you. Mm -hmm. I was that somebody who had never done it before, but wanted to. And that's who I want to help take that next step. So yep. just know this is truly at, at that starting stage yeah this, this is like your basic for basic like yes step one this is where we're gonna go yeah i think that's gonna be really helpful and it's gonna be a huge tool for anybody who joins your your one hour webinar your zoom whatever whatever you want to call it yeah 
So that's really cool. Well, I just want to say congratulations because it's a huge accomplishment that you're able to create this ebook and now this like course <laughs> webinar thing you have going on like that's it that's no small feat so congratulations because that's super exciting and I don't know if you know I know you said you had a super successful first week um but I don't know if anybody said congratulations and so I just wanted to extend that um to you because that's really exciting that you know all your work that you put into it has now come to fruition and it's here well thank you so very much uh so many people have been such an encouragement through the process and and like you said, just seeing it all come, you know, to the brink of it happening is has been really amazing. And I just have to say kudos to you for taking that bread recipe and running with it and not buying bread from the store. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest, gluten-free bread from the store is nothing to write home about anyways. So the fact that you're no. able to make it at home now and actually enjoy it, that's awesome. And your family is so incredibly blessed because of it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's it's definitely, you know, I would love to say the whole year I'm not going to buy bread from the store, but we know with kids, life happens. And so if we have to do it, we have to do it. But so far, I'm very proud of myself because I haven't had to buy it for 2024. We're a whole month in. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. Um, I just wanted to let everybody know that in our show notes, you're going to find a few different things. So make sure you head down there and check it out. So you'll have Lene's Instagram handle, which is hh.homestead on the hill. So you can find her on Instagram. She's always posting in her stories, talking about what she's making for dinner, tips and tricks for gluten free, just all the things. So if you are looking for someone to have inspiration for our, on meals or just ideas, check out her Instagram. Um, we are going to have the link to her stand store down there as well. So you can purchase the ebook. Um, and then it will also have um, a discount code for you. Um, for that four pillars printing. So if you want to get the hard copy of the book, we'll have the discount code down there as well. So that way you know what it is. And that code is expiring soon. Is that right? Yes, it is. So you're going to want to jump in and get your ebook and your print copy purchased here this week because the launch of this ebook is become or coming to its end. Yep. And so that means the price of the ebook is going to increase and that discount code is only valid through the end of the week. Okay. Yep. So get on there and get it right away um, because it'll, you know, it's always good to save a little bit of money wherever you can. We all need to do that right now. <laughs> yes, we do. It's crazy. That's a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and talking about all things gluten-free. Um I'm sure the feedback on this episode is going to be good. And if anybody has questions or um, tips or tricks that you want to talk about, um, you can, you know, message us, message Lene, whoever. And if there's something that, you know, we need to share out to the masses, we can always post it out somewhere too. So I just want to thank you for coming on and jumping into the podcast world because I know that can be a little bit of a uh, a nervous you know, touchy thing. Like, no, not everybody wants to jump onto a podcast, but I definitely think that this is going to be so helpful to so many people. Well, thank you. And it's been so fun, actually. So it's been a great experience and hopefully we'll reach some more people who can really learn how to, how to make gluten-free, simple for your home, make it taste good and have a lot of fun doing it too. Yes, I totally agree. Well, thank you. And I hope you guys all have a great day.